Welcome to the Communicators Radio. You are listening to the Communicators on the Keys 107 Network with your host, Brother Leroy, on Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, the first-class citizens of the world, we thank the Most High for blessing us with another day on this good earth, another day to create a classroom on the Keys 107 Network, the Communicator Program, with your host, Brother Leroy, the Communicator. Once again, we thank you for listening. We thank you for plugging in, telling your friends about this program. It is a classroom presenting you with information coming from experts in their area, of expertise, allowing you the opportunity to call in and ask questions. And we'll be able to take calls this evening, 213-943-3618, 213-943-3618. Many of you are joining us after listening to Minister Farrakhan on www.noi.org, and we thank all of you for switching over after his broadcast of the time and what must be done. For those of you who may have missed the 7 o'clock presentation, you can always go into noi.org during the week or later on this evening and getting his presentation, which is, Why Did God Make Devil? And uh, that's NOI.org. Tonight's program on the communicators here on the Keys 107 Network is current events. And we go to our brother Dennis Speed of the Lyndon LaRouche Political Action Committee to give us an update on what is going on in the news that people don't know about or have not been given a full explanation of in the so-called general media. We thank Brother Dennis Speed for joining us. God bless you, my brother. Thank you, sir. Are you able to hear me clearly? We can hear you very clearly, my brother, and we'll get right into it. What are the things that are going on in the news that we in the general population are not aware of? What are things that black folks need to know that we definitely aren't getting information on and uh, even if it's not in the so-called news, what's taking place in the environment of the world that we need to know about? The floor is yours. Okay, let's open up with two developments, one of them international and the second national. Uh, So I start with the international development first. I think some uh, of the listeners would have heard of the matter involving Edward Snowden and the fact that he held a press conference at the Moscow airport, Sheremetyevo uh, airport. This was yesterday. Now, of course, people have known there's been a back and forth involving the fact that Snowden has been offered asylum in 16, 17 nations now. Um, but has been unable to accept the offers, particularly from South America, because the United States government um, has met with 
uh, representatives of every nation that Snowden was accepted by and made it very clear that they consider him to be a criminal. So a press conference was given yesterday, and what I'm going to do, this press conference was given from Moscow by Mr. Snowden, and what I'm going to do is to read to you the, the transcript of what he said. And I'm doing this because it's unavailable. That is, you can get it if you look, but no one would know what he said. And I, I cite this particular case at this particular time, apart from its general uh, importance, because I think many people are aware that there has been a renewal for reasons that have been puzzling to many, uh, of a, uh, a manhunt for Asata Shakur, um, which seems for many people to just come quite out of the blue. So I'm going to read you what Mr. Snowden said, and for those who can remember 40 years ago and what the United States was like and can remember COINTELPRO, the counterintelligence program, I think you'll see why uh, the so-called current event of Mr. Snowden's case is really a a case of current history, not a current event. So here's what he had to say. He says, and this is all a verbatim quote, my name is Edward Snowden. A little over one month ago, I had a family, a home in paradise, and I lived in great comfort. I also had the capability, without any warrants, to search for, seize, and read your communications, anyone's communications at any time. That is the power to change people's fate. It is also a serious serious violation of the law. The Fourth and Fifth Amendments to the Constitution of my country Article 12 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and numerous statutes and treaties forbid such systems of massive, pervasive surveillance. While the United States Constitution marks these programs as illegal, my government argues that secret court rulings, which the world is not permitted to see, somehow legitimize an illegal affair. These rulings simply corrupt the most basic notion of justice, that it must be seen to be done. The immoral cannot be made moral through the use of secret law. I believe in the principle declared at Nuremberg in 1945. Here, let me simply interpolate, he's referring to the Nuremberg Tribunal that was held by the Allied powers at the end of World War II, uh, which after, after the which they hanged various of the Nazis. But now he quotes Nuremberg, quote, individuals have international duties which transcend the national obligations of, of obedience. Therefore, individual citizens have the duty to violate domestic law to prevent crimes against peace and humanity from occurring, end quote. Back to Snowden. He says, accordingly, I did what I believed to be right and began a campaign to correct this wrongdoing. 
Hmm. I did not seek to enrich myself. I did not seek to sell U.S. secrets. I did not partner with any foreign government to guarantee my safety. Instead, I took what I knew to the public. So what affects all of us can be discussed by all of us in the light of day. And I asked the world for justice. That moral decision to tell the public about spying that affects all of us has been costly, but it was the right thing to do, and I have no regrets. I'm going to end there. There's more to the statement, but I think that that is an important item for people to recognize, particularly for those of us who remember the case of Asada Sakur and many other cases of the Panther Party in particular, but of many others, during the period of the 1970s and the way in which people are classified as criminals, like Geronimo Pratt was classified as a criminal. Other people are classified as criminals and then are unjustly incarcerated or killed. So that's the first item I think I want to indicate, Brother Leroy. And I have a second domestic item, but I can wait if you have some questions pertaining to the first. Um, when you say it's available, but you can't find it, how would people access it? Is it at the PAC website? Yes, it's at the, uh, in our case, at the LaRouche PAC website. Uh, you just go on the website, and you'll see it almost immediately under news items. It's called, and I'll just say this slowly, Snowden Cites Nuremberg Principle in Meeting with Human Rights Organizations in Moscow Airport. Now, I would suspect, by the way, again, that Snowden Cites Nuremberg Principle in Meeting with Human Rights Organizations in Moscow Airport. You can probably get this. If you go to Amnesty International's website, I think they're probably going to have it up there, and you can check uh, Human Rights Watch. They'll probably have it up there. And, uh, and, but in terms uh, of any media, yeah. Uh, just, just clarify for us again, your association of the manhunt for Asada Shakur in, in the, just before you read the Snowden's uh, piece, that tie-in. Well, I'm, I'm associating in particular the resurrection of the manhunt for Asada Shakur. In other words, in other words there, there, might, there were, was one set of circumstances 40 years ago which involved a, an extensive operation to wipe out the Black Panther Party. I think we're all familiar with that operation. We all know what that was or are familiar. or Maybe we don't all know. So let me simply say the Federal Bureau of Investigation of the United States, particularly its Division 5, partnered together with other intelligence agencies to summarily execute the Black Panther Party. Um, and not only was that illegal and unjust, it should have been something that caused a, uh, a change in an element of the American government at that time. But what has been notable, many people have asked the question, why is it that all of a sudden we're seeing on the New Jersey Turnpike, for example, uh, ads saying a million-dollar reward for information or for the capture of Asada Shakur. Why would that suddenly be? 
Mm-hmm. And uh, my, associ- you know, my association is that what has happened is that Snowden uh, usefully uh, revealed something that many of us have known, which is that COINTELPRO never ended. And in the case of Lyndon LaRouche and his association, I think many people have seen us over decades, and they know about us over decades, and you probably also know uh, that we're often called shadowy, eccentric, nobody knows quite what we're doing, right, right wing, is it up, left wing, right, all of that, that entire impression is a product of the never-closed-down COINTELPRO operations of the 1970s, just turned against us in that particular way. Now, the, um, the COINTEL, COINTELPRO was, was revealed through what Senate committee? Well, I, I don't exactly remember the name. That was well, the church. This way. That, that was it, the, the church. church committee. Yeah. Well, the, well, the church committee popularized the, the knowledge of it. Frank Church, Senator Frank Church. But, but actually, and yes, it's true that it was in the course of the hearing. That, by the way, essentially began around Watergate and looking at Nixon's private intelligence service that he had assembled at the, at the White House. So that's where uh, it became popularized. But it's relevant to take a look at other documents that were also being released even earlier. For example, the House Un-American Activities Committee has a document entitled Guerrilla Warfare in the United States from May of 1968. Uh, It's either May 5th or 6th, but but before May 10th of 1968. You can try to find it. I don't know if if you should be able to find it which discusses specifically sealing off uh, the black community uh, and um, uh, patrolling it and issuing identity cards to people in the black community to control ingress and egress from uh, entrance and exit from the black community Mm -hmm. uh, at that time. So uh, it's of some note that, and I bring all this up because what people have got to understand is one of the central functions of the Bush and Obama administration's emphasis on security uh, is going to be its use in controlling the financial accounts of everyone in the United States and many people throughout the world. That's the function of a lot of the electronic surveillance. Hmm. Okay, all right, moving on from Snowden. And and one last thing, um, why wouldn't the so-called general media, since he had a press conference, why wouldn't that short synopsis or even the short synopsis or even the full text of his press conference be in, why would, why would they not print it? Well, the particular uh, importance of what he has to say is his invocation of the Nuremberg Statute. Okay. Because what he's arguing, you see, what he's arguing there is that there are crimes against humanity and crimes against peace that are being committed by the United States that are of such a, a, a magnitude that they would require um, direct investigation. 
by uh, by by uh, larger international bodies. Got it. Uh, and that what he's saying is that it was his duty, therefore, yes. to uh, uh, to expose uh, this, this whole set of affairs. Um, and it's a higher uh, duty, uh, not to the, then to the Constitution, but then to the government of the United States. Got it. Got it. The irony is that Nuremberg, this, the criteria set by the Nuremberg trials and the points that were made there were used against the Nazis, but are not implemented against anyone else. Right. And uh well, they've been they they've been invoked against African leaders on on occasion and against Milosevic on an occasion, but it's never been invoked for example against Bush's behavior in the Iraq war, which is now known to have been a fault going to war uh having not been attacked by Saddam mm-hmm. Hussein. Hmm. Therefore, therefore, violating the entire tradition of American war fighting. Uh, that is, even if we say that Vietnam was a, the Gulf of Tonkin affair never occurred, at least they thought they had to argue that there was a Gulf of Tonkin affair for Americans to be put and gotten involved in 1964-65. Right. But in the case of Bush, yeah, in the case of Bush. He gives a reason, and then it turns out that the reason didn't exist. So, so that he and should still be tried by an international court. Uh, it would be nice if it happened in the United States as well, but he certainly should be tried by an international court uh, for crimes against humanity. Okay, so moving beyond Snowden, things that are going on in the news that folks don't know about, that they need to know about, and uh, the sub is things that black people don't know that they need to know. All right. Uh, we're trying to, we're going to uh, refer now to something that just broke also on Friday, this from the United States Senate. Uh, and what's relevant about this is it's a bill which is referred to as the 21st Century the 21st Century Glass-Steagall Act is a bill uh, that is uh, being introduced into the United States Senate, has been introduced by uh, Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts, by John McCain, by Maria Cantwell, I believe she's Washington State, and by a fourth senator whose name I don't have. What this is, as, as people who perhaps heard this show before know, uh, Lyndon LaRouche and his associates have for many years now uh, been insisting ever since the 2008 bailout or prior to the bailout that uh, what needed to be done was to return to the 1933 Glass-Steagall Act. This was an act that existed for 66 years from June of 1933 until November of 1999. And it is the reason that you had not had a banking crisis like the one that we ran into in 2008. Uh, what has happened is that a group of senators have now uh, put forward a bill which is uh, in some respects similar uh, and certainly is the result of 
the actions taken by Lyndon LaRouche and his associates. But what's relevant about it is that what they're saying in, in this is a fact sheet that's attached to the bill, and I, I just want to refer to that because here's the inter- – and by the way, this becomes important for New Yorkers who have recently seen Elliot Spitzer suddenly reemerge into political life. Uh, and I, some of you may remember he was governor of New York for a short period of time, and he was previously uh, attorney general. And he made a name for himself uh, being called the sheriff of Wall Street because he had brought down the head of AIG, Maurice Greenberg, in 2005, three years before the Congress of the United States authorized the bailing out of AIG Corporation, which was completely unprecedented and completely illegal. So in, in, this, in this act that has been brought, the, the 21st Century Glass-Steagall Act, it says, this is now referring to the fact sheet from the site of the U.S. Senate uh, offices that are doing it. The 21st Century Glass-Steagall Act separates traditional banks that offer savings and checking accounts and are insured by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, it separates them from riskier financial services such as investment banking, insurance, swap stealing, and hedge fund and private equity activities. The bill also separates depository institutions from products that did not exist when Glass-Steagall was originally passed such as uh, structured and synthetic financial products, including complex derivatives and swaps. Now, here's the relevance of this. The language is very good, but as to whether or not anybody's going to actually seriously try to do this, that will remain to be seen. Nonetheless, it is important because it means that the United States Senate has... um, had to second something that had already been in, in, in existence in the House of Representatives placed there by Lyndon LaRouche's uh, organization's uh, lobbying efforts. Uh, Marcy Kaptur had a bill called Restore Glass-Steagall, and uh, she's from Ohio. She's a congresswoman from Ohio. And a senator from, from Iowa, Senator Harkin, had put the bill into the United States Senate. Nobody had 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 co-sponsored his bill, and it was widely believed that nobody was co-sponsoring in the Senate because everybody knew that it was because of the initiative of Lyndon LaRouche that Senator Harkin was putting his bill in. He agreed with it, but he was taking that in response to discussions that had been being done by LaRouche and his associates, Uh, and it was parallel to an, 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 an effort in the House of Representatives. What this means, I want this to be ultra clear to people. You see, right now, your money in the bank is utterly worthless. Because as of of what they did in in Cyprus some months back, uh, there have been reports that have been written and are in circulation from J.P. Morgan Chase in the United States and the Bank for International Settlements in Switzerland. There are reports in circulation that are calling for an ab- abolition of or an abrogation of the bailout policy 
instead of having bailouts, they're going to do bail-ins. Now, they've already done a bail-in in Spain and a bail-in in Cyprus. What is a bail-in? Bail-in is real simple. They just take the money from your account. The way they do that is they don't just rip it off. Uh, simply, they tell you that your money is frozen past a certain percentage. Like maybe you can get 30% of your money. Maybe you can get 50% of your money. But you can't get all your money and you can't get it all in one day. And that's what they did in Cyprus. Now, in order to be able to make that efficiently work, two, two conditions are required. One, you have to have fingertip control over all financial transactions of all the people affected, which means everybody that banks. And number two, you want to be able to uh, 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 control the way in which local banks, meaning uh, re, you know, local, local banks in the state or also it could be regional banks in the country, how they're processing the electronic transactions. So what you do is like what they did in Cyprus. They just told those people, well, you can only get the equivalent of 250 euro, I mean 300 euro out a day. That's roughly about $375 a day. That's all you could get. No matter what your situation was, that's all you authorized to take out. And they explained to you, well, all the money that, you know, you got 100,000 euro in our account, hey, you're good for that, no problem. But, but, the bank is authorized to say to you that today all you're getting is 300, and 300 of those euros. You can't get 1,000 of them, 10,000, or 99,000. Forget that. You're getting 300 today. That's okay. a bail-in. Hmm. And that's where we are right now in the United States. Make no mistake about it. Uh, you don't know that, and if you go to the bank now, you can pull things out. Yeah. But any day that anything happens with one of these so-called too-big-to-fail institutions, let me explain something. What they are arguing is that if J.P. Morgan's chase goes bankrupt, that's a national security issue. Now, it ain't a national security issue. It's a J.P. Morgan chase security issue. Just like if you go bankrupt at your house, that is not a national security mm. issue. That's a Le- that's a brother Leroy issue. Mm. If I go mm. bankrupt, that's a Dennis Speed issue. Mm. But see, if you have the power to declare it's a national security issue, well, that's what's happening. And that's what these people have—they've already put those laws. And that's what Snowden is getting at about the notion that you can just say that an invisible court gave somebody power to basically do surveillance. Over you, everybody immediately starts thinking about, you know, bedroom things, and nobody thinks about the financial side. means that somebody can be tracing you. Once you get over, right, get over like $100,000, well, let's chase where this guy is putting his money. And they can have a tracer on you uh, retroactively going back three, four years. Hmm. And now what they do, yeah, that's right, that's right. They just seize everything you have, and you can't do anything about it. Because you are electronically hooked up, like in the Matrix. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Communicators over the Keys 107 Network. I'm Brother Leroy, your host, and our guest is Brother Dennis Speed. We're going to go to some announcements, and after the announcements, you're welcome to chime in, ask questions, or 
cover territory that we haven't covered. The telephone number two one three nine four three three six one eight two one three nine four three three six one eight. Hit one on your telephone keypad that lets our engineer know that you indeed have a question. We'll have more information coming after these announcements. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Keys 107 and the FOI Board of Directors is proud to present The Final Call. The Final Call is the country's unique leading source for news. Founded by the Honorable Louis Farrakhan, National Representative of the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad and the Nation of Islam, the final call follows in the tradition of Muhammad Speaks with hard-hitting national and international news and coverage of political issues. It is the official communications organ of the Nation of Islam. Founded in the 1930s as the final call to Islam, the newspaper evolved into Muhammad Speaks in the 1960s and boasted a circulation of 900,000 a week with monthly circulation of 2.5 million. Today, the Final Call newspaper serves a readership of diverse economic and educational backgrounds, including circulation in North America, Europe, Africa, and the Caribbean. Read the Final Call newspaper. You can find one of the beautifully bow-tied representatives in your community or read FinalCall.com. Now back to the communicators with your host, Brother Leroy. Thank you. Thank you once again. This is Brother Leroy, thankful to the Most High for blessing us with the opportunity to serve you and you to serve us with your questions. Telephone number 213-943-3618-213-943-3618. Hit one on your telephone keypad. It lets us know that you have a question and you're very welcome to join in on the classroom with Dennis Speed, our guest. He represents the LaRouche Political Action Committee. And a few years back, one of our fellow communicators, Brother Wally, introduced us to Brother Dennis Speed. I had my questions, uh, that is, you know, the authenticity of the group and all of that, because the LaRouche people have been portrayed as quirks and, uh, you know, just questionable individuals. Well, the history is this, is that we were able to engage Dennis Speed just before the housing bubble officially was announced as burst. He was giving us the lowdown, I think, two years before they officially admitted that this thing was a bust. And everything he said was on point, and that's why we invite him back to give us assessments into international, national, and local issues. Um, austerity. Austerity is the program being touted in these various countries of Europe, and here we don't hear austerity as such. We hear sequestering. And uh, give us the background, the game, the game that's being played with this austerity and sequestering. How much of it is real? What are the underlying uh, games that are being played in terms of shifting of income, whether they call it uh, uh, not shifting the income but the wealth. They shift the wealth to the top, 
and they deprive the middle, and they, of course, deprive the the lower income. What is that all about? I'm talking about austerity, sequestering, and shifting wealth. That's a good question. You're able to hear me clearly, correct? Yes, sir. All right, very good. So uh, let me let me. That's that's an ex- excellent question. None of it is real. However, you have a you have a problem in today's United States. I'm glad, by the way, you referred to the housing matter and Lyndon LaRouche because I want to use the this occasion to discuss austerity. Um, I was first introduced to Lyndon LaRouche back in 1970-71, and at that time he was forecasting that the then international monetary system, which was run by the dollar and had a name, the name was Bretton Woods System. The name uh, came from this place in New Hampshire, Bretton Woods, where the system was organized in June of 1944. So, the Bretton Woods system consisted of a series of currencies that were all pegged to the dollar or the value of the dollar as that was pegged to gold. So it was said, okay, we all agree that the dollars were $35, uh, $35 uh, uh, an ounce of gold. So gold was worth $35. And, there, and all other currencies would be uh, shaped around that. Okay, so... The game was that the United States had come out of the Second World War not only as a leading military power, but as a leading economic power. But that was a leading economic power. What I meant by, mean by that is it was an industrial power. Agriculturally, we, could, we were able to produce enough food at that time to feed the world. It had its own machine tool sector, which meant it had machines that could make other machines, which could make any form of industry in the world. Uh, it had tremendous natural resources, as you already knew, whether it was oil or natural gas or coal, um, or for that matter, uranium or whatever else. So, therefore, pegging the entire world's economy to the dollar made sense because the other economies, particularly of Europe, have been devastated. Uh, there were still not really free countries in Africa, by and large. Uh, South America was really a sort of a subsidiary of the United States, and so forth and so on. All right. Richard Nixon is, of course, unfavorably remembered by most of us, particularly when we think about his role in in Telpro and the killing of the Panther Party and the persecution of the the, uh, Nation of Islam and of other people. Uh, But the thing that Nixon did for the establishment, which was the most important thing he did, was that he took the dollar off the gold standard, and what happened was the dollar went from $35 to an ounce of gold to $39 first. That began during under Johnson. And then under Nixon, in August of 1971, August 15th to be exact, he ended the system. Now, when he ended the system something called austerity began. And one thing that people may or not remember is that in 1971, right after he did that in August, Nixon announced a series of austerity measures which were known by the names 
phase one, phase two, phase three, and so on. What this was, was they started out by saying all of the welfare recipients in the country, which which were predominantly, by the way, white, not black at any time, were going to have to work for their check, $1.60 an hour. It was called the Work Incentive Program. It was an austerity program. Now, my organization was created. We went off the college campuses, left the colleges, and went out to organize against this because we characterized this as fascist. Now, what does that mean? What does fascism mean? What's that word mean? Because when you say austerity, fascism goes together with austerity, at least in the minds of a lot of people, as I think it should. So let me tell you in one sentence what Franklin Roosevelt called, characterized or defined to be fascism. He was in front of the Congress. And he was talking on the, the topic was the concentration of economic power. He said, this is a quote, the liberty of a democracy is not safe if the people tolerate the growth of private power to a point where it becomes stronger than their democratic state itself. That's what just happened. That's what too big to fail means. The banks are growing to the point that they're more powerful than the government itself. He says that in its essence is fascism, ownership of government by an individual, by a group, or by any other controlling private power ownership of the government. And that's what you're dealing with when you start talking about these things like, you know, too big to fail banks. But check this out. And here is where I want everybody to stay with me about austerity. All of these banks are bankrupt. They don't have any power in themselves. The way you know that is that the Federal Reserve Bank of the United States had to come to the Congress on September 15th, 16th, 17th of of 2008, five years ago, they had to come to the Congress and request from the Congress that the Congress give them the authorization to print dollars. If they had had such almighty power, if they had been so omnipotent, they would not have had to make the request. Now, the Congress opposed that initially. They voted no. Then, of course, everybody got their arms twisted, and they got the Elliott Spitzer treatment, and then they went back and voted the second time, and they voted yes, and they sold us out. But they had no actual power to do that. Explain what I mean. That thing was unconstitutional because you cannot act against the general welfare as an elected representative of the United States. What is austerity? Austerity is acting against the general welfare of the people of a nation in favor of private institutions, private banking uh, institutions, private rich families, and so on. And so in Europe, where they don't really have free government, frankly, they don't have it. They don't have that in France and Germany and all that. They're always talking stuff. But the truth is, those are parliamentary governments. They can rise and fall any time that they get pulled down. In England, the Queen of England meets with the Prime Minister once a week, privately. And they and nothing from that meeting gets recorded. 
That's how the country is run. That country's not free. They don't even have. They don't even have a written constitution. Check it out. Britain doesn't even have a written constitution. So these places are not free. The United States is different because the structure of government allows the citizens to hold the whole government accountable if they will do so. Now that's what you get into with Snowden. He's holding the government accountable. When you come back to austerity, now what is it? It means I just cut your throat. I say that, well, you know, yeah, you know, uh, it's too bad, but, you know, we just can't afford schools. We can't afford uh, power uh, facilities. We can't afford uh, farms. We can't afford food stamps. It just took food stamps out of the thing, right, out of the latest bill that they have. Uh, uh, so so that, that's how it goes. And so what is going to happen, and here's what the issue is going to be, the American food supply no longer can supply food. American farmer can't supply food for the American people. America doesn't make any industry. Detroit going belly up like that is a metaphor for the whole American economy. But they don't want to pull the plug on Americans because Americans are the main consumers in the world. So it's like you don't want to really pull the plug on the guy buying the heroin and the crack if you can't avoid it. You want to keep feeding him so he can feed you. So where we are right now tonight as we speak is that the intent is that those people from those private institutions are going to kill every one of us they can or need to in order to try to maintain the so-called integrity of their so-called system. And there is no way of avoiding that the present president of the United States, the previous president of the United States, and so forth, these people are going along with this. And the way we're going to have to deal with that is the people are going to have to get back out in the street, hold some of these people accountable. But the way they're going to have to do it, they're going to have to go the way that Yassine Bey went on the question of the force feeding. You have to go the way Snowden went on the question of the illegal surveillance. Yassine Bey is most deaf people that don't know, and if you haven't seen that five-minute tape of his, of his uh, uh, voluntarily being force-fed, you're going to take a look at that on the Internet. Okay, I know it went viral on up around about five million views. And what mm. I'm saying is that people are not prepared to do what he did or what Snowden did, then you're going to die like a dog. It's going to be like that. We come to that time. And if people have been reading the final call or earlier Muhammad speaks, you ought to know what that time is. Hmm. Telephone number 213-943-3618. We only have a few more minutes with Dennis Speed of the Lyndon LaRouche Political Action Committee. 213-943-3618. Hit one on your telephone keypad, and that lets us know that you have a question or a comment on the presentation this evening. This is a classroom. It enables you to partake in the information. You don't have to have a full understanding. You can always ask for clarification. Uh, coming close to home, the issue of the the assassination of uh, Trayvon Martin, how does that fit, if at all, into a bigger picture in terms of how the media has treated this case. And when I say the media, I'm talking about 
the ABC radio, the WR radio, the CNN programs, the uh, talk about uh, the legality of this stand, stand your ground, and not the fact that there was a a initiation of uh, the encounter on the part of the the murderer. Um, what comments or observations do you have in terms of how the prosecution handled this case, the presentation of the case, et cetera? Well, I've I've actually uh, said very little about this case, uh, reason being not because it's not an important case or anything like that. Uh, I believe that what you are dealing with here uh, as a whole you see, but you got to begin to look at this in terms of, you know, we, when, you, when, when I'm speaking often, obviously I'm talking about macro effects, right? So yeah. it's about glass eagle, did that. Well, let's come back down to the individual and how this actually works. See, when, when people get the sense that they no longer have governmental institutions that are in any way representing the general welfare of the people, they start improvising. Now, here's the problem. If you were dealing with a even semi-literate United States, as opposed to the United States that you see in some respects, at least, reflected on, you know, whether it was Jerry Springer or whatever it may be, um, when you have that problem, you have to understand now almost everything that you get is going to be bad. So let's take this whole vigilante question. Why do people think that they need to protect themselves? Well, I think there are two reasons. One, I think they recognize, although albeit dimly, that the powers of government are being usurped by people who are using them for all kinds of purposes, many of which threaten them. So when people from NRA and these other people keep talking about hey, man, as far as I'm concerned, you can have a bazooka, you can have a service air missiles, I mean, right? I mean, that's what they would basically say. Why do they really believe that? People say, well, they're just paranoid. Actually, they're not paranoid. There is that kind of threat from secret or so-called secret military capabilities. But what's the cultural problem of the United States? That's a, that's a more profound one. The cultural problem is that the whole society has dead-ended. There is no future for anybody under 21 years old that is a knowably good future in the United States. Let me repeat that. I, and I'm not saying that because I'm trying to get people to be unhappy, but I want you to understand why you've got a lot of kids committing suicide for real out here. There really is going on. And why kids do get violent. Why kids do go off not to mention the chemically enhanced situation being created in the schools, not by the drug dealer outside, but by the drug dealers inside that have, you know, uh, you know pushing the riddle in and all that. So, so the problem involved is when you're looking at Trayvon Martin's case, these two realities co- co- collide. But both of them are the effects of this macro, macro picture. So now here's what the problem is. We can talk about the media manipulation of the case 
But check this out. Look at what the media is doing. Let's look look away for a minute. Look at what they're doing around Elliot Spitzer. Everybody knows what went down with Elliot Spitzer. Elliot Spitzer has talked to his wife. If she didn't beat him up about it, then something wrong with her. I think she probably handled it. All right? And we know the man went out to Wall Street and he kicked them in the butt. He did a good job. Now, he threw his hat back out there. What's the media doing? Instead of dealing with anything substantive that this man wants to say in any way, they go, you know, to the dirt, to the, to the, to the, to the, to the mud pit. And what they do, the issue is not that somebody can't raise that question. For a constituent that meets him can't raise that question, that's all cool. That, that, that you have the right to do. But the media is basically, uh, the media prostitutes, are trying to tarnish him with what we already know about that incident, so nothing actually gets discussed about why he decided, despite all that, to jump up and run for controller where what? Try $80 billion or more in pension funds, which when you start leveraging that, that gets to something like a $1 to $2 trillion, is what is controlled by the city control of New York. Hmm. You start messing with Wall Street on that, you can mess up some serious banking uh, people. You can do some serious damage to J.P. Morgan Chase and all this, and they don't want him anywhere near it. So what I'm trying to show you here is I think the Trayvon Martin thing is fairly clear to anybody that's just not a fool. But we know there's a trial going on, right? Okay. So everything's gonna come out in the trial. We're not, you know, we're not looking at the trial. Or not, I'm not, I'm not looking at day to day. So I'm saying, okay, maybe something different will be said. But what we do know, and here we come back, is that the role of media uh, always, in this, in this case, in my view, has to be re- almost, almost summarily rejected. People have got to do their own research. They've got okay. to do their own investigation, and they've got the ability to do that now. Right, you're saying you're saying critical analysis, critical listening, critical viewing, and don't go with first thing that comes through. You gotta you gotta ask what other what other issue is there in this? And just asking that question, you pass. Shows like yours are essential. Shows like yours are essential at this point for anyone being able to arrive at the, 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 the most simple, truthful conclusions. I mean, frankly, I would listen to your show and shows like yours just to check the weather. Okay? Mm. I, I don't really think you should go to media for anything. Mm. Okay. You we have, have, a, to, we you, have, you, a, you we have a call on the line, Dennis. Yeah. Dennis, we have yes, a call no. waiting. And caller, thank you for your patience. You're on the black ear. Well, thanks to you, and this is the first time I'm talking. Thank you very much, Brother Leroy, for having me. And good evening, Mr. Speed. I am honored to speak with you, sir. Thank you. I want to say that as an advocate for the physically and mentally challenged, I am aware of the environment around me. Being born with autism and as an advocate, I am fighting so hard to let our voices be heard. For so long, we have been denied our rights in society. I fought to become an advocate because of my mother's influences 
in getting me involved in IEP meetings in schools across the in our state and everything. They didn't have programs where I lived that were able to help me and become the person I am today. That is why I'm changing it. I ran for state assembly as a young advocate being born with infantile autism, the first person with a challenge on a ticket to win 15% of the vote. Now, as an advocate, I am fighting for the eradication of bullying and bully side, and I, too, have a broadcast program on this on this Internet broadcast, which is of vital importance to the youth of this country called Youth Worldview USA. We are trying to get the message out that, with the headlines, how it affects the youth of this world. I've been following the events that are unfolding, and I will say this. When I see things like this unfold, I am really in awe at the speed and the amazing transitioning of our planet of what is going on. But I also will say I I am praying with my heart tonight for calm and resiliency, no matter what the outcome of it is, because my heart is at peace because of my faith in Buddhism and because of my faith in the universe to help me guide through even the most darkest of hours. We must have that strength and faith to get us through this very difficult time in the history of planet Earth. That is what I want to say tonight to the people of this country and the world we live in. Okay, caller, tie that in. uh, Caller, tie that in with some of the issue covered by Dennis Speed. What he was talking about is the environment, and I believe that the environment is of importance. We've been seeing what the fundamental darkness is with people using certain things to expose people out in the in the world for their flaws. Well, right, we yeah. have flaws, yes. We have flaws. We can admit to that. Mm-hmm. I may not be perfect, but I try to become more perfect in my life with faith. We need to go back to the roots of our faith strongly so that we can become better people to love and embrace all people, no matter who they are in life. And we need to not be persuaded by fundamental darkness because we need to have the strong shield and the and the defense of our own lives with faith to help others and give them the, the unique nourishment so they can be strong spiritually and emotionally to be better people to make a difference in the world. Very good. And when is your when is your blog talk show on Youth World View USA? It's on. Um, I've been trying to get back on it, but I have archived shows. You can check me out at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Jersey Justice. Jersey Justice, that's my my screen name on there with the numerical number 29. And I'm telling you, this show is the People's Network. And I want to thank you, Brother Leroy and Dennis, for having a show that speaks to the people of this country and the world. Because we need to communicate with people now, not just socially, but also physically by talking and without the usage of any negative influences in our lives to address the issues with the use of positive human revolution that is needed today. And if we can make that positive human revolution unfold in our country, then we can have a more perfect union where all people are created equal. All right, and thank you for your call, my dear brother. God bless you. Thank you. Peace be with you all. Thank you. Thank Uh, you. Thank you. Dennis, the um, the uh, going back to the the food stamp piece, 
the uh, Republican senators, what you, I'm, although I'm aware of things, I am very, very, I, I, you know, how, I don't understand it. I mean, where is this stuff? Is this part of the game of the Republicans do it and the Democrats protest, but they both are down with the same thing, or is it? Well, guys, I, yeah. go ahead. I'll take what I think. See, I, let's take what the previous, why the previous caller actually responded. See, what, what happened was I said something and he got it. I said there's no future for anybody under 21, and they have to therefore get up and make one because one thing about the United States, no matter what anybody tells me, having been involved with Lyndon LaRouche for 40 years, having been involved earlier than that with Republic of New Africa, this, that, and the other, I mean, I've been involved with, you know, people who were serious about doing what they said they were going to do, okay? And he said something very important around the Trayvon Martin case that's absolutely essential. People have to remain calm regardless of what happens, and here's why. Calm doesn't mean you can't protest. Calm doesn't mean you can't yell, scream. That's not the issue. But people who were in the real people who were Panther Party members, not the police agents, the real people in Nation of Islam, not the police agents, the real people in all organizations, not the police agents, were not the people that got up and started shooting and burning and this and that, you know, far from it. Matter of fact, that's the famous, famous cases of, of Muslims being beaten and Muslims showing restraint but showing force. Um, and and, uh, and I'm saying this because when we come to something like the farm piece, what has to be done by our people is actually extraordinarily simple, Brother Leroy. We have a political action committee. It's called the LaRouche Political Action Committee. And we also do a thing where we have a, a phone call every Thursday, and we get people on from all over the country. And the concept of that, you know, is people have been working with, on different things. Some people are working on legislation. Some people are going out in the street and just spreading the, the message. Some people are working on certain cultural issues we work on, whatever it may be. And they're all over the country. So what do you do? You use the fact that you can get these people on a conference call or whatnot, and they compare notes because often – as he said, you may be imperfect, but if somebody else has picked up on something that you wanted to do and they got it going on already, then you listen to that person, you pick up, and you move forward. Now, take something like the farm question. The farmer of the United States was the most productive farmer in human history. And it all, whatever we want to say about the questions, the pesticides, this, that, and the other, frankly, the number of farmers we had that knew what they were doing was unprecedented in human history. We got down to a situation where going from having 97% of our population on farms in 1775, right, and feeding 3.5 million people, we got to the point back in the 1980s of having 3% of our population on farms, and we were feeding over 250 million people and much of the rest of the world. How do you do that? How do you do that? Obviously, that's a highly efficient group of people who had learned something, and we had changed the nature of, of farming so that it meant that every acre of land had become infinitely more enriched mm. by the transformation that we had engaged in 
whether that was irrigation, mechanized agriculture, whatever it may have been, organic farming, whatever it was. But now an acre of land was infinitely more rich than it would, than it would have been on its own. That's the same thing we can do with the human mind. So here's a man who suffered from infantile autism, and he got out there and he ran for office. Mm. Where mm. does nutrition? Okay, now where does nutrition come into this? Mm. Oh, I won't get into that. You have people that come on your show all the time to talk about that and other things. I'm not going to try, but it's obvious, right? That mm. nutrition, especially early on, is at the very core of that. So when you hear people saying. We're cutting food stamps, <laughs> and mm. as you know, what, what kind of food people are buying with that, with that. Okay? Mm. Well, what are they saying to you? So, see, this is the way that you begin to see the implementation of the hardcore true austerity policy in America. And mm. the way for us to deal with this, we got to get people who are 21 years old, 18 years old, which 16 is good, too. Yeah, I was 16 when I got political. So, I mean, I, you know, you got to get people to, uh, to stand up. Uh, and uh, don't mind that. That's just a little bit of New York City high life going by. Right. Um, right. Uh, you know, and, and that's what we need to do, man. And so that's, that's my view of, of what's essential. We understand that we, have, we, have, we are Americans. We can change our situation. And that's what Lyndon LaRouche keeps talking about every week, man. Hmm. Dennis, how can people connect with you? Best thing to do is to go to the LaRouche Pack website. That's the best thing. And then you get our site. If you want to get to me directly, as I've told people before, you know, it's Dennis H. Steed, H. as in Henry or Hannibal, uh, at yahoo.com. You can get me that way. And otherwise, Brother Leroy, they just got to get in touch with you. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to ask you any questions that may come up in the aftermath of our discussion. Last question, student loans, the game that's operating there. Well, that's simple. It's the same as the housing thing. See, there are no students in the United States anymore. There's just, there's just pretext for loans. You, they, don't, they don't think about the student as existing. They don't see a student. They don't see a mind. They don't see a career. They don't see a future. What they see is a loan, man. A student is simply a loan. He's an asset. And so what they're doing with this, of course, you know, as you probably know, Brother Leroy, back in the days of the Baghdad Caliphate in the 12th century, they paid students to go to school, and they paid them in gold. They subsidized their housing, and they stipended the students in addition so that there were no loans, no loan system. The students were paid to go to school. This is a situation we're talking here about Baghdad, eleven fifty that period of time, uh, where they had libraries, they had public libraries at that time, uh, and uh, public lectures. And so you're looking at a situation of barbarism in the United States. Uh, and and what, what went on with that is just straightforward. That's why it exists. You are uh, you're, you're you're turning a student into debt slaves. And the students need to revolt against that. Let's shut that whole system down. There should be no, the interest rate should be 1% on any student loan. Mm. Uh, and secondly, many of these student loans should be uh, forgiven on the basis of student service, as used to be happening all the time, like CCNY, City College, 
or other colleges. You remember the, the days when CPNY was free? Right. People don't even believe that anymore. You remember that? Right. Yeah. So, but yeah, what you did was you did time. I think you know, I, I brother Aline Muhammad, I think did some of that over at uh, in uh, in Harlem at the hospital mm. over there, Harlem Hospital. That's right. So what you do? You do in duty. That's what you do. So you're giving back to the community and to the society by service you perform. So, I mean, students don't have a problem doing that. Matter of fact, they need to do that for training purposes. Um, so that's all you should have. Students should have no obligation is what I'm suggesting to you, and there's nothing pie in the sky about that except for, you know, let's say you could, you could write that out contractually when they agree to a scholarship. All right, fine. You're going, get out so many years. Okay, but now when you come out, you're doing two years at this city university, this city school, this city hospital, right, the teaching institution and so forth and so on, right? And that is a system that you could install. How about the idea of agricultural scholarships and people spend time farming? Wow. What's the problem with it? scholarships and people spending time in the machine tool sector, right, getting reskilled. You really think people are going to have a problem with that? You think people would have a problem going to community colleges handling that? You think wow. that poor people have it? That? That's the thing, and that is what we ought to all get in the streets for, right, right now, because everybody can tell that that just makes sense. We ain't paying those loans. Everybody knows they ain't paying those loans back. Hmm. Dennis, I want to thank you very much for your insight and sharing and your time. May God continue to bless you and your family, my brother. Thank you, sir. All right, peace. Ladies and gentlemen, you. be sure to uh, put us on your calendar for Sunday. Sunday we're on www.whcr.org. That's Harlem Community Radio www.whcr.org. We're on from 1 until 3 in the afternoon. Monday morning we're on that same website, whcr.org, at 9 a.m., 9 a.m. to 10. And then Tuesday night we're back with you on Blog Talk Radio at 7 p.m. And each show that we do, we attempt to have someone or someones who give you information that you're not getting anywhere else and you have the opportunity to interact with us. Support black media. Do make it a point to buy the Final Call newspaper. Don't pass by the brothers and they have the paper and you just turn up your nose or look down or look around or run past them. Get the paper. It supports a black business and also be sure, as Dennis Kimbrough said, begin to spend 50 cents more with a black business. That makes a tremendous difference in terms of the overall wealth generated within the black community. And as you know, wherever you are, when you see the black community, you see others building kingdoms off of our spending dollars. So begin to circulate money among your own vendors, among your own businesses, and begin to ensure employment for some more of our youth in that particular direction. I want to thank our engineer, Brother Anthony and Sister Rafika and Brother James, for making this program possible and always thanking the Most High for blessing us 
You can contact me by email, Leroy, the letter B as in boy, T as in Tom, M as in Mary, Leroy, B-T-M, at MSN.com, and I'll be happy to get back to you. Leroy, B-T-M, at MSN.com. God bless you all, and we thank the Most High for blessing us to have spent this time with you. Peace. Thank you for listening to the communicators on the Keys 107 Network. Join our Facebook group page, The Keys, opening doors to endless possibilities. Follow us on Twitter at The Keys 107 and email us with suggestions or questions at suggestion at sign the keys 107 network.com and don't forget to visit our webpage the keys 107 network.com if the keys 107 network isn't on your blog talk radio then your blog talk radio isn't really on Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC, is on the cutting edge of emerging technologies for designing online classes and providing face-to-face and virtual technology training or help with computer programs, web design, and graphic arts. We also provide biography writing services for websites. For more information, give us a call at 631-399-0149. That's 631-399-0149. The Fluffs present the alphabet. Now found in paperback, sporting a five-star rating on Amazon.com. Moon 107, fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Moon 107 is an online retail store featuring women's and men's clothing and the gift shop. The woman's shop features stylish tunics, suits, and accessories, and offers the well-dressed woman an outlet to find the perfect gift for self or for someone else. The men's shop offers classy French cut shirts for the well-dressed man. The gift shop offers organic skin, hair, bath accessories, and inspirational music imported from Africa, India, and Asia, as well as jewelry and accessories. Gentlemen, you're listening to the Communicator with your host, Brother Leroy. 